thewellnesscouch.com, streaming wellness into your lives. The Real Food Real is a fresh and educational podcast dedicated to your health. We get real on current research, debunk food myths, and educate you on how to just eat real food. Your host, Steph Lowe, the natural nutritionist, is one of Australia's leading sports nutritionists, passionate about simplifying nutrition and addicted to coconut lattes, smoothies, and sweet potato. If you love the show, then please leave us a review on iTunes. Share the real food real with your friends and continue to spread the real food love. In episode 155 of The Real Food Real, we are joined by Tabitha McIntosh, founder of Awaken Your Health, qualified naturopath, clinical nutritionist, and passionate educator. Tabitha is one talented lady helping so many people improve the quality of their health and well-being. In today's show, Tabitha and I explore how you can reduce your toxic burden one bite at a time. Hi, Tabitha, and welcome to the show. Steph, thank you so much for having me on the Real Food Real. It's wonderful to be speaking with your audience. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit about yourself and what led you to practicing in the nutrition and naturopath space and then also, um, yeah, what you're up to as an educator in this area. Well, you know, how long have you got, Steph? Because <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm trying not to give you my whole life story, but look, I've always had a really uh, keen interest in the workings of the human body. I just think the body is miraculous. And that really, you know, I was a biology lover at school, one of those, um, you know, those nerdy science kids. And I um, that led me to studying a Bachelor of Medical Science after school. So I went to New South Wales Uni and my majors were in anatomy and reproductive physiology. And to put myself through uni, I chose to work as a receptionist at a local doctor's surgery where I grew up. And I the doctors really sort of took me under their wing and I had to transcribe their referral letters and things like that from a dictaphone. And I got, I got really interested in the work that they did but to be honest, if I also felt the frustration that they felt because some of the doctors I worked with as receptionists, they were such good humans. They really wanted to help and educate their patients, but they were so limited with time. And, um, you know, sometimes also they were limited by their patient's own uh, level of initiative. So patients would be coming in overweight or with metabolic syndrome or a new diagnosis of of type 2 diabetes or something and they'd, they'd sort of say okay doc have you got a pill to fix me and um, I felt their frustration because really um, so many of these presentations can be they're metabolic and they can be addressed with diet lifestyle food choices and, and health literacy and um, really after the medical science degree rather than going on to study to be a doctor and doing my graduate medicine, I chose instead to do postgraduate studies in environmental and nutritional medicine. And that then led me onto a path of uh, studying to be a naturopath, which, which I did. And I just, I just never tire of it. I, I love, I, I love empowering patients and, and helping them to understand how their bodies put together and helping them to, to respect their bodies and be friends with their bodies and understand that we all have a really unique interaction with our diet and our lifestyle. There's no one size fits all. And um, I guess probably I'm a born educator. And after six or seven years of practice, I was asked um, if I'd like to lecture. So that was a real 
uh, nice invitation to go back to nature care where I studied and teach first year nutrition. And then I also went on to teach nutrition and uh, supervise the final year students in clinic at Endeavour College of Natural Therapies. And um, I ended up, you know, in combination doing that for a number of years, five, five or so years. And um, now I'm lucky I get invited to do speak, uh, speeches and, and talks all around the place. And, and just the weekend gone, I, I was lucky enough to educate some postgraduate doctors at FN on nutritional and environmental medicine too. So it's just been a natural evolution, I think. Yeah, beautiful. And you obviously love what you do. Have you got a favourite area or part of your current role as it sits? Yeah, look, that's also, I know you're a clinician too, Steph, so it's, it's interesting to talk with you about it. That's also evolved over time. So my children are now 9 and 11, and when I was pregnant with them, I had a real, a, a real clinical interest in understanding pregnancy, and, and then it moved to sort of shifted to a postpartum interest, and, and uh, working with infants, again, has just been a natural evolution I've always been interested in digestive health as well. So that's another um, another area that I really enjoy working with and I see every single day. And probably the reason I'm never bored is because I'm one of those clinicians that even though I've got these areas of um, experience and interest and education, um, I haven't gone on to specialise specific I still say yes to everyone that comes in. So I see prostate disorders, I see cardiovascular disorders, I see young kids with immune challenges and um, I just love it all and I'm never bored. Yeah, amazing. So I wanted to give you the space to talk about a project that you mentioned offline to me has been five years in the making. Um, so let's start there if you wouldn't mind. Um, tell us about your book um, and then we'll kind of dive in and, and get, get a bit deeper into our topic today. I'd love to. So One Bite at a Time is a book that I uh, co-authored uh, with Dr. Sarah Lands. Now, when I was breastfeeding my second born, Max, who's now nine, I happened to be having a weekend where I was uh, just doing a bit of self-education and I, I came across Sarah Lands' book that she published in 2009 and it was called Chemical Free Kids. And when you're, when you're a parent, a title like that is very grabbing and it was it was a book I knew I had to have and I did order it and I devoured it and I ended up contacting Sarah. Uh, she studied her PhD in um, the area of toxicology and, and really in understanding what sort of environmental chemicals were turning up in newborns' cord blood. And I found that area so fascinating and also so scary as a new mum. And I contacted her because I'd been invited to do some national uh, seminar uh, series, a, a national seminar series with one of the companies. And I actually spoke with her and I invited her to come along with me. So I decided to call that seminar series The Chemical Overload Solutions. And um, Sarah introduced my talk by discussing the results of her PhD. And on that tour around Australia and New Zealand, that was back in 2010, we became good friends and we had different strengths, but together we worked really well as a team. And she asked me if I would co-author her second book with her. So, you know, Sarah's, Sarah's um, got a family and she runs a business. I've got a very busy clinic here and I've got the, the kids too. So it really was a long project that we worked together on on getting this book out uh, we were chasing our tails as the research was coming out too to make sure that it was really cutting edge and we were presenting 
the most up-to-date information, but one bite at a time came together and we published it in December last year and it's been a real success for us. So one bite at a time, it's really about how to reduce daily chemical exposures just with making conscious uh, choices. We've really demystified the area of environmental medicine and, and made it really approachable for the public in a non-scary way. And we offer loads of solutions, not just on reducing exposures, but on, on also on how to maximise resilience against those inevitable exposures. And we called uh, the subtitle Eat the World You Want because we truly believe that with every time we're, we're making a decision around what we're going to eat, we're, we're casting a vote as to what kind of um, farming systems we support and, and what sort of uh, food system we want to be a part of. Yeah, beautiful. I love that. And such an important area, I think, one that, you know, we're definitely hearing a lot more about in say 2017 but I can imagine for you you know you started it some time ago now it would be quite fascinating to see that evolution as to where the conversation is and I think that's you know really exciting so that we are more aware of what we're exposed to. Um, I wanted to start from the top though just in terms of a bit of context as to the area of pesticides and and how that all started. Yeah, sure. We've got a whole chapter on pesticides because it's really, it's, it's a topic that people prefer not to know about sometimes. Sometimes it is easier actually to keep your head in, in the sand about pesticides. But look, I guess it all started uh, many decades ago with pesticides where the organochlorine pesticides were employed in World War II really to control um, infection with malaria and things like that. But then it was also discovered that DDT worked beautifully as an insecticide to protect produce and the industrialization of agriculture so ddt as one of the major organochlorine pesticides that most people or insecticides that most people will have heard about um, was imported into australia really from the states really from around about the 1950s and we used it prolifically and I still, when I'm doing my talks around Australia, I still meet people in the audience who remember having um, aeroplanes or mini planes fly over their local swimming pool or their local school where they were attending as a young child where DDT was sprayed and some of the advertising from the 50s and the 60s about how DDT was good for people and it was sort of sprayed directly onto infants to help them, you know, uh, grow and to be clean and things like that. It's, it's in retrospect, it's really very horrifying uh, because what we understood, uh, what we understand now with hindsight, is that DDT was a disaster for health and particularly for development. So DDT had its most major adverse impacts as an organochlorine pesticide on a developing uh, infant in utero and on a young child. And um, because it's it's got very, very heavy endocrine disrupting uh, functions and really was uh, caused, caused disaster with health. So it was pulled from the market in the late 1980s and instead around about that time we implemented the use of organophosphate pesticides instead. And they've got a very different safety profile. You know, the old DDTs and other persistent organic pollutants, they are fat-loving and they last in the environment for decades really they're very very hard to break down and you know with understanding the adverse impacts they had on health and development we implemented the organophosphate pesticides which we still use now and uh, we use them because they increase our, our yields of produce 
and uh, we use them because uh, of the large-scale industrial agriculture that uh, sort of um, is at the basis of our food system these days. And they've got really different safety profiles and I'm happy to talk about the current day pesticides if you like. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's important to, to appreciate the difference and obviously then we can explore um, what that does to our health. Yeah, sure. Well, just to wrap up on the old school pesticides, the organochlorine pesticides, they still are present in our food chain, uh, even though they're not in use. So, you know, the, the pretty awful reality is that we're all exposed to a cocktail of chemicals every day and some of those chemicals have been banned for decades like those organochlorine pesticides and some of them are still in everyday use like the organophosphate pesticides and other chemicals we might be exposed to. The reason we're still exposed to those old school pesticides is because they are fat loving and they, they essentially stay in the environment and in the food chain and um, they are found in you know really high fat content animal produce like you know butters from around the world and creams from around the world, um, from dairy and uh, the fat on a lot of animal products because they just don't break down and they bioaccumulate in the food chain. So as a general rule of thumb, one of the ways we can reduce our exposure to these old school persistent pollutants is just by eating very low on the food chain. You know, if I if I quote one of my favourite food ethicists, who I'm sure you, you know, Michael Pollan, mm. um, he says, you know, essentially the less legs the better. And that is the case when it comes to those old school persistent pollutants, you know, vegetables over seafood, over two-legged poultry, over four-legged animals when you can. But um, with the shift to the current day organophosphate pesticides, they've got such a different um, uh, toxicology profile. So they're water soluble. And essentially we can all uh, get on top of an exposure within a matter of days. Uh, which is really reassuring, and that's why they're in use over the organophosphate, over the organochlorine pesticides. But because they're water soluble, we do need to use them on produce in agriculture significantly more frequently. So they're sprayed at seed and then at all stages throughout the growth of produce and, and plants. And often there's a last spray before harvest and sometimes even a post-harvest spray to help protect the produce from invasion by insects and things um, in its transport to wherever it's going to be sold. And the organophosphate pesticides um, are safe in small amounts, but I guess what we don't account for is the fact that if we're eating just a standard Western diet, we really are exposed to them in reasonable amounts all day, every day with every meal, unless we're choosing to make uh, decisions otherwise with a, with a certified organic diet or with some of our produce organic. And um, what the research says around these organophosphates is that, you know, when, when we're an adult and we have robust health and our kidneys are working well and our liver function is good and our bowels are working well, we can essentially get on top of a single exposure within, um, you know, within a 24-hour period. Um, but certainly if someone is in utero and developing or someone is very young and they're unwell, or their elimination uh, pathways aren't working well, or they're uh, developing, then they're going to be far more vulnerable to some of the adverse health effects that we know that um, organophosphate pesticides can have. Yeah, and I think that resilience part is a really important piece, which I'm sure we'll get to. But 
Let's just talk firstly about, you mentioned organic briefly. So I wanted to get your thoughts on that and what the difference is when we look at modern day pesticides. Um, and then obviously what some other simple strategies could be to minimise our consumption. Yeah, sure. Well, you know, I want to make um, today's interview really practical for all of your listeners and audience. So because I work every day with clients, really where the rubber hits the road, I'm going to approach this almost as if I was speaking to a client so that so that your listeners can get some really juicy information out of it. So essentially when we buy produce that's in season, we can feel confident that for the most part less uh, pesticide and herbicide will have been used on that produce because the environmental factors are favouring the growth of that particular produce. So I always, you know, see our food choices through the lens of connection and by that I mean it's really important to be connected to your body as you're making decisions around your food but also to be connected to the wider environment and to the seasons and when we're eating in season we're going to you know be exposed to less of that organophosphate pesticide particularly also when we're buying produce grown locally and Australian produce rather than imports so that's the first thing I wanted to mention but also what I use as, a, as some clinical guidance is it's not uncommon for me to discuss with clients as they're um, sitting with me, the work of the Environmental Working Group. So the Environmental Working Group is a not-for-profit body in the States that uh, does some very expensive research annually. So their research costs several million dollars every year that they publish this Dirty Dozen and Clean 15 list. And how they accumulate this data is they buy produce from all different states of America and they take it back to their labs and they combine produce by produce, so bananas with bananas and spinach with spinach, etc. and they analyse it for pesticide residue, organophosphate pesticide residue. And their results annually uh, are moderately consistent. So most years the Dirty Dozen list looks quite similar and most years the Clean 15 looks quite similar. And uh, the reason I refer to their, their data over there is because the policies around the use of the different herbicides and pesticides in the States are very similar to our policies here in Australia. Neither of us, the United States of America or Australian policy, are particularly progressive. We look to the EU instead, and a lot of the European countries have a far tighter and more protective policy around what pesticides are allowed to be sprayed and used. But we're very in a very similar boat with um, the states in terms of what we use. And unfortunately, there's no body in Australia that does that same research here for us. But the Dirty Dozen is um, usually the furry produce, so things like peaches, sometimes berries, definitely grapes, celery, apples, um, capsicums, things like that. And how I use the Dirty Dozen list is I, I show it to clients that I have with me and if there's something on that Dirty Dozen list that they're eating really regularly, like an apple a day or berries with their breakfast every day, cherry tomatoes in their salad every day, I talk them through the fact that they'll get a lot of mileage by switching that specific produce that they're having regularly to an, a certified organic produce instead or they'll also get mileage switching that produce to something off the Clean 15 list instead. And the Clean 15 list consists of things like kiwi fruits and papaya, uh, um, pineapple, avocados, cabbage, asparagus, things like that. So quite often it's just a matter of swapping to the Clean 15 list or certainly replacing something from the Dirty Dozen list to be certified organic. 
Yeah, I love that. Really practical advice. And obviously then it's not about having to buy 100% organic, which is probably good news to most people's back pocket. Well, absolutely. You know, I wish I could say to you with my hand on my heart that my budget allowed for a 100% organic uh, grocery shop every week. And what I do do as a gift to the family, because I've prioritised this over other expenditures, is I do take an organics uh, delivery of uh, vegetables in particular every week. And I really enjoy sorting through that box because it sort of extends me. I'm not the strongest cook. I'm a strong nutritionist, but I still am gathering my confidence in the kitchen with trying new things all the time so but it extends me to try new things and uh, then I supplement that and, and often I supplement that organic vegetable box with buying some of the clean 15 from either the farmers markets when I can get there on the weekend or sometimes even just from Harris Farm but another question I get asked all the time is about washing my produce and and will this have an impact and and I can draw on the literature here to, to help your listeners understand the answer to that question. And the good news about those organophosphate pesticides being water-soluble is that they do wash off. Um, however, because they've been sprayed on the produce from seed all the way throughout growth to harvest, a, a proportion of the organophosphate pesticide is going to be maintained within the flesh of the fruit or the vegetables. So what the literature says, there are three published papers that I've seen on this very question and they're all using potatoes. And all three of the papers discuss the fact that when we take some conventional potatoes that do have organophosphate pesticide residue on them and we suck them and give them a little scrub with a nail brush, brush and, and we wash them prior to consumption, in some water where we've changed the pH of the water, we can have a really nice impact on reducing the surface pesticide residues. So what I mean by changing the pH is something like filling up the sink, adding in a couple of catfuls of white vinegar, or alternatively, you can even add in some bicarb. Whatever we can do to shift the pH of the water that we're washing the veggies in in either direction will actually have an impact on starting to lift some of that surface pesticide residue off the vegetables and the fruits that we're washing. So I think that that's a not negotiable practice for families that have, uh, you know, young children or infants um, who aren't buying organic and also for mums who are um, expecting, who are pregnant. I think it's a really important intervention to reduce um, pesticide res uh, exposures. But I, I guess I can also... Um, very empowering research published in 2015 that was published by uh, Professor Mark Cohen and uh, Dr Lisa Oates actually showed that just having a predominantly organic diet for seven days did have a very big impact on reducing pesticide residues detected in uh, people's urine by up to 90%. So I, I wanted to highlight that we can have a very fast impact by uh, choosing an organic diet, particularly when it comes to the dirty uh, dozen produce, really we can see results in our exposures and the metabolites that we um, that are detectable in our urine uh, in a very short period of time. That is great news. So, what else do you recommend we can do? Is it you know purely avoiding the consumption, or is it then you know maximising our resilience because there is some inevitable uh, exposure? Look, I think that we've got really good control, Steph, over what we bring into our homes. Mm. So uh, it's, it's, um, it's a, a two-pronged approach. You're absolutely right. I think it's 
it is about learning to reduce your exposures. And, you know, I talk about this as swaps with my clients. So generally, the more processed our diet is and the more we're relying on the industrial food systems, you know, we're, we're out at restaurants or we're choosing packaged foods and things like that, the more... Uh, the more toxins we'll be exposed to via our, via our food choices. So whether it be, you know, sugar, salt, artificial food ingredients, even, even chemicals that can leach out from food packaging, you know, once we get more savvy and we're preparing the majority of meals from our own home, um, and we're using, uh, food containers that are steel or glass, um, that, you know, this is a really big global issue and, and I know it can sound scary, but I truly believe that the solutions are the grassroots ones. They're the, the solutions are the, are the ones that we're making at home. We're choosing our glass um, coffee cups, our keep cups, and we're, we're choosing to bring our own lunches in our steel containers and things like that. We're looking at what our, our cookware is made of and, uh, you know, having less canned food and things like that. But... You're exactly right that the second-pronged approach to some of those bigger chemicals like those organochlorine and, and persistent organic pollutants that are just detectable in everyone, what we can do to, to protect ourselves against those inevitable exposures is we can maximise our resilience. And I consider eating the rainbow every day as one strategy to create a buffer against um, each and every client that I work with and, and their exposures. So when we do choose to eat uh, fresh, in-season produce, sometimes organic if and when we can, and we're really going for a diversity of colours and a diversity of, of vegetables and fruits and, and herbs and spices, all of those plant foods contain beautiful plant-based ingredients called phytochemicals that actually work to protect the DNA in our cells and, and they, they help to buffer us against our exposures and to protect ourselves against those exposures. So I talk about it as eating the rainbow every day. And certainly for all of our detoxification pathways to be working well, I think it's really important as a second strategy to maximise resilience to make sure that all of your channels of elimination are open so that you're drinking plenty of clean filtered water to flush those kidneys that you're having plenty of that plant produce to provide the fibre that you need for your, your bowels to be evacuating. You probably know, Steph, you can't speak to a naturopath without hearing about the bowels. Mm -hmm. And, <laughs> and uh, also to make sure that we're exercising, um, to really promote our lymph flow and that we're sweating with our exercise and, and considering soreness. So that's, a, that's another strategy in terms of maximising resilience that really... When we've got a nutrient-dense diet and we know that we're getting the iodine that we need and the zinc that we need and the, the trace minerals like selenium that we need from our foods in our diet, we're, again, we're providing some resilience because we're providing our body with all of the cofactors it needs to make our detoxification enzymes. Yeah, absolutely. So foundational but so important to have those building blocks so that we are maximizing our resilience because I, you know, I do believe that there's lots of things we can do like you've been teaching us, but there is some inevitable exposure that, you know, we want to be able to process and eliminate so as to minimize those adverse health effects. You're exactly right. Yeah. Beautiful. So I'm sure there are some listeners that want to learn more and, and perhaps that, you know, they'd like to be guided through this process because I'm sure, as you know, like it can be quite overwhelming when you're first 
starting and I know you have an online course that I believe is a very gradual process so I'd love to give you the space to share that with us and um, give us a little bit more information as to what is involved. Sure, Steph, I'd love to. Thank you. So, look, I guess uh, we all learn differently and we all are somewhere on this on this path and this journey to reducing the chemicals in our lives and, and uh, switching to safer, essentially, we call it. So whilst I've got the book out one bite at a time and it's, uh, you know, proved to be a wonderful resource for lots of people, I also know lots of people who have books piling up on their bedside tables that just don't get a chance to to read as much so I decided with a colleague who's also a naturopath and a pharmacist to devise an an online e-course for learning and it's it's a 10 module e-course and it covers things like personal care products and tap water and you know one of the modules is called food glorious food and it even we have a module on EMF and electromagnetic radiation and mobile phone, uh, Wi-Fi, etc. Um, so this I Quit Chemicals course is IQuitChemicals.net, and we've just um, had our first intake, and we launched it at the end of October, and it's been really successful so far. We just launched module seven this morning. We're getting a great uh, community built and some fabulous feedback, and uh, our next launch of the I Quit Chemicals will be in February, the beginning of February, for all of those um people that want to tackle something like uh, this to, to help them along their way. The purpose with the iQuick Chemicals course, we know that this topic can be daunting and overwhelming and so we've made it really achievable and really practical. There are, there's a module that releases every Monday and Thursday. The module takes no longer than an hour to go through and then there's a whole, there's really a bounty of, um, of printouts and practical cheat sheets that can be printed out and popped onto the fridge as reminders as to some of the ingredients to be avoiding and some of the products that we support because there are some wonderful companies out there, aren't there, Steph, doing brilliant things, um, making natural products and, and avoiding a lot of these chemicals that we're exposed to every day. Yeah, absolutely. It's great to see such a shift in, you know, in the beauty industry and certainly in the cleaning space and it's really never-ending obviously and we're very lucky that there are companies speaking up to you know to I guess stop the greenwashing that we have seen for so long. I, I agree with you and, and I, I feel it's like a wave of consciousness you know people are starting to ask questions and to and to think not just for themselves but also for the planet and and really one of the things that motivates me in this field is I feel a responsibility really to protect uh, the planet and our bodies and, and the health of all of us for the next generation. And maybe maybe that lioness in me came out once I became a mother myself. I'm not sure. I'm sure it factored into it. But, you know, I'll read you a quote from the book actually, and I really believe this. Each and every one of us is capable and courageous enough to contribute in some way to leaving our world a better place. And, and that's what drives me. And it's really just those small decisions. You know, what I see in clinic every day is that there's a really big gap between people's daily habits, the things that they wake up and do each day, and the literature and the science that we have as to how some of these chemicals impact health. So it's just about learning as much as you can, asking, asking questions, have, being a critical thinker and thinking, is there some 
simple change I can make this week. Like if I switched the family's broccoli to organic this week and next week I switch the apples to organic and the following week, once I run out of that particular cleaner that's under my sink, if I decide to choose an eco version of that same window cleaner or dishwashing cleaner, all of those decisions that we make, you know, and we can pace it as we like nice and slowly, all of those decisions that we make at that foundational level are going to add up to have a really big impact on our health over time. Yeah, absolutely. And it's the same as what you mentioned briefly with keep cups and I think plastic bags. Like if everyone just made the decision to carry a keep cup and carry a recyclable like Hessian bag, imagine the difference that we would make collectively. Like it's really important to look at your own individual decisions while they might seem small imagine the sum total difference that we can create together exactly right because if we think we've got to do it all ourselves it you know we can become paralyzed by that Mm. because it's so overwhelming but you know we call it our tribe you know we're all we're all in this together really and um and our our little changes that we make can add up to be so powerful not just in our own lives but collectively for the planet and for the health of the next generation Yeah, so beautiful. So tell us more about your online home and anything else you'd like to certainly share finally and obviously then direct us to where we can learn more. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I've got um, the books website, one uh, bite.com.au. I've got the e-course that ultimately where I am most of the time is uh, here in Wallara in Sydney in my clinic. So I've got a, a gorgeous little clinic that I've put so much energy and love into. I wish I could show you actually, Steph. I've got um, cards and photos of parents and, and newborns all over the wall, uh, wall <laughs> that mm-hmm. our parents have sent in as a thank you. And so I consult in private practice as a naturopath and clinical nutritionist in Wallara five to six days a week. And on, on my main website, awakenyourhealth.com.au, uh, for your listeners, I do have a, f- a couple of free downloads. So there's when you go onto the website, there's a free download, which is just a mini um, ebook as to how to reduce your daily chemical exposures. And I've also got for the parents out there a free lunchbox download that you can download from the bottom of the homepage of my website because I find we're all busy and we all need inspiration about foods to be choosing and um, lunchbox packing and things like that. So, um, yeah, there's also a really comprehensive resources page on my Awaken Your Health uh, website for your listeners to have a play with and and, uh, to gain more information and to do their own reading. Wonderful. So much to share and, you know, I think certainly a really beautiful message and a very important one to be spreading far and wide. Thank you for joining us on the show, Tabitha. It was so great to speak with you. Such a pleasure, Steph. Thanks so much for having me. This has been a production of thewellnesscouch.com. Check us out on Facebook and join in the conversation on facebook.com forward slash thewellnesscouch. Subscribe to each show on iTunes and check us out on Twitter. The Wellness Couch, streaming wellness into your lives. Whilst the Wellness Couch presenter endeavor to provide accurate and helpful information to their listeners, these podcasts cannot take into account individual circumstances and are not intended to be a substitute for health and medical advice from a qualified health professional. You should always seek the advice of a qualified health professional before acting on any of the information provided by any of the Wellness Couch podcasts.